Welcome back to another episode of Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast. My name's Captain Ozzy with Marker 23 Guide Service, and today I sat down with Captain Will Paul. Will's a great friend of mine and phenomenal guide. Will talks us through the coastal rivers of North Carolina all the way to the streams in Alaska. I would like to apologize ahead of time for some distractions during the end of this podcast. Anything from phone calls to wild dogs coming into the garage as we're recording. There were a few things going on that did distract us from the podcast. But if you don't mind, just bear with us. And I appreciate you guys listening. If you're like us here at Eastern Current, your boat trailer takes a beating. That's why we want to tell you about Coastal Trailer Repair, located here in Wilmington, North Carolina. At Coastal Trailer Repair, they strive to bring quality work at a reasonable price, specializing in trailer hubs, springs, and all things electrical and wiring. If you have an issue with your trailer, look no further than Coastal Trailer Repair to get you back on the road. You can find their information in the podcast show notes. Well, Mr. Will, how you doing today, dude? Man, I'm doing good. Enjoying this rainy day. You just got a full dose of Sneed's Ferries, what you did. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty impressed. <laughs> good sports bar food. Yeah. Cold yep. beers. Yeah, no complaints. Man, it terrible weather, though. Yeah, but God knows. Uh, I know you guys hate the rain here, but out my way, we need it bad. <laughs> so we're glad to see it. It's been, yeah. a, been a dry year. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't. As far as the sight fishing goes, I mean, or, or the trout fishing for that matter, and we can get into all those theories later on. I think I have an unpopular theory there. but um, Those are usually the best ones. <laughs> clickbait material. <laughs> um, tell us who you are and, and what you do and uh, how you ended up there. Yeah, so uh, my name's Will Paul, Captain Will Paul, if you will, I guess. Um, he actually forces his clients to say Captain Will yeah, Paul. regularly. Um <laughs> I'm fly fishing guide. Been being, been a full time fly fishing guide for about eight years now. Um, I'm in northeastern North Carolina um, for most of the year, operating on the coastal river systems, primarily the Tar and the Roanoke. Um, and then I've spent my past seven summers in Bristol Bay, Alaska, working for Tick Chick Narrows Lodge, big fly out operation up there with with some great folks. Um, and yeah, really really passionate about. Um, kind of a little different from what you guys probably normally talk about here, but the, the freshwater resources that we have, um, some really unique fisheries that don't get a lot of attention, don't get a lot of pressure, um, and, and provide some really cool angling opportunities, especially for a lot of the fly fishermen around here. Yeah. Um, so tell me about January to December, what your year looks like. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Good place to start. So yeah, I would, I would actually, um, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to break up our year. Um, we're a very seasonal fishery in in the coastal rivers. Um, you know, it all is based around these migratory fish. It's all based around these fish that are coming into our rivers to spawn in these prolific numbers. So in January, February, um, we kind we start out with our, our striper migration and, they're an interesting fish. They, they come in from the Albemarle, Pamlico Sound to the lower ends of the rivers. Um, you can kind of think of them like a pre-spawn bass. Mm. You know, they're getting ready to make, in the Roanoke, what's a 120-mile or so journey up to Weldon, which everyone knows about, um, mm-hmm. to spawn. But those fish are moving in the lower ends of the river. Um, it coincides with a big you know, congregation of bait fish. They're trying to get that weight up before they make this long run. And that's why when you, when you see those fish in Weldon, they're, they're so fat compared to, you know, an average striper you might see 
um, in the fall in, in the Pamlico or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll start fishing for those things. You know, really here in the next couple days, I think it's a few days after Christmas right now. Um, so we'll start fishing for those in January, February. And, and the really cool thing about about the rivers that we have is, is that is truly a year-round fishery, but but there, there are parts of it that are better than others. So January, February, that's what we're looking at. As February comes to an end, our river temperatures start coming up. Um, we start looking forward to my personal favorite time of the year, um, and I think probably one of the most unique resources that we have in the state um, are American and hickory shad fisheries. So, you know, these are, for those that don't know, these are pretty much big bait fish that come into the river. You know, hickory shad's going to average one to three pounds. A big, a really big one's going to be four pounds. Um, an American shad can be anywhere from three to seven pounds, and they are tails of some bigger. Um, these fish come in in very large numbers. Uh, the best way I can describe them, you know, they're a big herring, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best way I can describe them is like a, a little tarpon salmon. You know, they act like a salmon. They look like a tarpon. They, they almost <laughs> fight like a juvenile tarpon. They uh, do. I have a, uh, not to interrupt your story, but I have a funny uh, tarpon shad story. Um, so we were we were both in Weldon this past spring. Uh-huh. I don't know if, we had a tough, tough striper fishing. We had some good days, but all around a tough season. And I don't know if I was just disgruntled or what. There was this guy who was just kind of getting on my nerves at the dock. I mean. He, That'll happen. Yeah. He had a can or a, a collection of cans next to him. I was honestly worried about him falling into the rapids at some point in time, <laughs> not casting any stones. Um, but I'm like, dude, just I'm trying to conduct business here. Hey, my name's so and so. Here's the boat, whatever. You know, and I'm like, I can't talk and think because you're so loud. And uh, he ended up catching like a good four or five pound shad. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? what? What is this fish? I'm like, dude, that's a tarpon. And like, I sell it. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited about it. I'm like, no way. I've never seen a tarpon here. And he believes it. He <laughs> runs back, shad in hand. If you've ever seen the Weldon boat ramp, that's not an easy track either. Like, zigzags up the hill. I got a tarpon. I'm like, hey, let's just leave. Like, I feel bad enough that I, I let it go that far. You know? <laughs> and um, they'll fool you. When those things jump out of the water, the f- first thing you think is, man, that God, that looks like a little tarpon. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to know how far that went. If he, like, was just selling it, like he knew I was messing, or did he actually think it was a tarpon or what? But It's the Weldon boat ramp. God only knows. <laughs> it's a special place. That's exactly right. But, no, you're, you're exactly right. Like, that is, they're, they're a cool fish, yeah. the way they jump. and they, Any fish that jumps is cool in my book, personally. Exactly. That's one of the, the, the pillars of a, of a good game fish, in mm-hmm. my mind, right? Like, the, the way they fight, and, and one of the best things about, Tarpon fishing is, is mm-hmm. the jumps. Yeah. That's for me. When I go tarpon fishing, the best part, you yeah. hook a fish, it comes out of the water. Yeah. It's hard to beat. And and Shad give you that on obviously a much smaller scale. Um, but the way that you fish for them is so similar to steelhead fishing or salmon fishing. And some of that, which I've done in, in Alaska, uh, there's a lot of parallels between the two. And what's really neat is how prolific of a fishery we have for them. I think it really can't be overstated how good our rivers in eastern North Carolina are for shad fishing. There, there's nowhere else on the planet that is as good as what we have here. And I mean that for both species. We have 
incredible American shad fishery. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some people probably on the Delaware River that would, that would <laughs> you know, claim that theirs is better. And, I, you know, I've, I've never been, maybe. Um, but we have some extremely large fish, um, very, very large fish that are relatively available to catch. We have hundreds of miles of river to target them. And then we have these prolific hickory shad runs. And if you've never done the hickory shad fishing, um, specifically on the Roanoke or the Noose River, it is some of the most fun you can have anywhere in the world. Uh, it is the most user-friendly fishing in some of the prettiest places you'll ever put in a boat um, and some of the most unique places you'll ever put in the boat. And one of the things I love about that season is how culturally important that has been to this region for so long. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a part of who we are in eastern North Carolina, and it's something I've really enjoyed being a part of as I've done it professionally for, for God, you know, almost, almost eight years now. Um, and it's, it's a neat fish. It's fun to target. It can be as simple or as complicated as you want. You can go throw an ultralight rod with a curly tail jig on it and have a great time. Or you can really try and figure out how to catch these things on a fly rod and, and catch a lot of them and you know, things that we've really enjoyed is, you know, we've kind of figured out how to catch these things on topwater flies, which is a, a, a real big trip that we've enjoyed the past few years. Um, and then with those larger American shad, I mean, people are always surprised when they hook into one for the first time on a seven or eight weight fly rod Yeah, to, to a, a, a real big shad. You know, we're talking four or five, six pounds. It's a, it's a, heck of a fight especially in these rivers that are in their springtime flows where they're they're moving pretty quickly um you know they almost remind me of a permit with how wide the fish is how wide and thin the fish is when they turn on their side on the river they will just give you a run for their money yeah and all Um, that current oh my god i mean i I can't tell you how many times i've seen clients get pulled into backing and they're immediately like oh god i didn't didn't expect (laughs) to see this yeah um so you know we run that fishery i'd say march is really the prime time um I definitely have not coined this. This is a colloquialism from, from North Carolina, but you know, a lot of people call it March madness. We're, we're, we're the basketball state for, for yeah. collegiate basketball. Um, but you know, for us, it's March shadness. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I first heard that from a, a good friend of mine and, and great fishing guy in the region, Richard Andrews. And, and I always loved that. I thought that was great because it really is the boat ramps come alive that time of year. There's, people fishing there's the old guys sitting in the truck oh, how many fish do you guys catch and and it's just it's just a fun time to be on the river it's one of those fisheries that's accessible enough that you can get young kids into it really mm-hmm. easily you can get new anglers into it really easily um people that have never picked up a fly rod can go experience some real success which is which is incredibly unique um so that's a that's a time of the year that's really near and dear to me and and we fish for those things you know, late February through early May, but but March is kind of the primary season for them. As we kind of transition out of the shad season, we turn our focus back to the stripers. Um, you can absolutely fish for stripers through March, and there's some great fishing. And, and days here and there, we'll, we'll split up some of our you know multi-day guests and and show them some of the stri- pre-spawn striper fishing that time. But you know, typically, we're kind of focused on those shad. Um, and moving into April, May, um, and the beginning of June, we, we kind of have our prime striper season as those fish reach the headwaters of the river. And then typically around the last week in April, first week in May, you'll see the spawn. Um, I know you've seen the spawn of the Roanoke. It is, uh, it's national geographic level. It it really is. If if you haven't done it, it is one of the coolest fisheries that we have. It, It is, there's not many places in the world 
where you have stripers make that far of an inland run and actively spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, stripers are broadcast spawners. They come up to the surface. The big females come up to the surface. They release their eggs and, you know, 5, 10, 20 males will then milt through the eggs, fertilize them, so on and so forth. Um, but to see it on the scale we have here, um, even with, you know, some more difficult runs the past couple of years, it, it's really quite the sight to see. Um, and you couple that with it's spring, the weather's getting nice, you have these beautiful sunrises the, the Ro- and sunsets. The Roanoke is just a, it's a spectacularly beautiful river. It's it really a, is. It's a, it's a wild river. Um, it is. You know? It, it, it's just so um, uncommercialized, unindustrialized, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, Besides our two paper mills, we're, we're doing really good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. A few houses and a paper mill, we're doing pretty dadgum good. It's, but to to get on that like of the lower Roanoke, the upper side of it, mm-hmm. and there's just nothing, nope. and you're watching spring happen, yeah, in in actual wilderness, yeah, and in today and in almost 2024, it's hard to find. That should be cherished. Yeah, I mean I, that's special. I tell people all the time, um, you know, this may be speaking a little bit more towards uh, the National Wildlife Refuge, towards the the lower 30 miles or so of the river, but but even through the middle river where you have some farmland and stuff. Um, it is some of the most wild water I've ever gotten to fish. And, and, you know, I've spent years in Bristol Bay, which is probably the most wild water that we have in America. Yeah. Um, you know, float plane only to get a lot of these places. But you'll be on the Roanoke, especially in that wildlife refuge and, and some of the braids and creeks that we have. And, you know, you'll see bald eagles, black bears, deer, otter. I mean, you name it. It's a, it's, really a wild place you can't hear a car most of the time i mean it's it's very unique of a resource that um i think a lot of people don't really necessarily know that it's there you know weldon's obviously very well popularized and and um maybe some days to a fault for some of us that have to spend our springs out there that's weldon's economy it is yeah i Um, mean not just that but pretty much a large portion it's the rockfish capital of the world rockfish capital of the world um, so that that's a that's another part of the world that I just I really have loved getting to show people show my guests how wild of an area you can be in and be an hour to two hours away from Raleigh Durham. Yep, you know that's that's a super unique resource for us to have and and the fishery that goes along with it. Um, you know, I try to remind myself even on a lot of our bad days, it's a lot better fishing than you get anywhere else in the, it is. In the country. It, yeah. We're really, we're, we're really almost spoiled with it a lot of the times. And, and we kind of have found that out on some of these more difficult years. Um, but, you know, mo- moving through that, that fishery, um, you, know, you get the, the kind of primetime welding, you know, through early May. And you know, then those fish go back down, um, head back out to the sound. You have a really great post-spawn fishery, um, some phenomenal topwater fishing, some of the coolest topwater fishing I've ever gotten to see um and then once it starts getting a little too hot here i I jump on the airplane and and head up to alaska for uh usually mid-june through uh the end of september and and working at a phenomenal place there where we're targeting trophy rainbow trout arctic char um, all five pacific salmon species um grayling things like that flying around airplanes running jet boats working with a, a heck of a crew uh, guides from all around the country, and uh, it's a it's a really really unique operation. Uh, Tick Chick Narrows, where I'm at, were a 
small peninsula in the middle of the largest state park in the country. Uh, Wood Tick Chick State Park is about the size of Delaware. Um, we're wow. one of, yeah, it's, it's an incredible area. I mean, it really is. We, we operate, you know, you know both in Wood Tick Chick, um, the Togiak National Wildlife Refuge, which is to our northwest, um, and Katmai National Park, which is to our southeast. And between all three of those areas, you know, we're, we're covering practically the size of North Carolina. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, we're flying in old 1950s float planes and getting in, you know, jet drive John boats and running up little tiny creeks and rivers and um, a lot of really cool sight fishing opportunities um, and just, you know, tr- truly the best freshwater fishing I've ever experienced. Um, and, and, you know, talk about a wild place, bears, eagles, moose, caribou, you know, these huge pulses of life from these sockeye salmon that, that turn these rivers red. It's a, uh, it's an incredibly, incredibly unique place. And, and I, I've really enjoyed it because I see so many of the parallels between our coastal rivers and the rivers that we're fishing in Alaska, like the Nushagak, the Togiak. Um, they're, they're coastal rivers that operate kind of based on these big migrations of anadromous fish. You know, there we have our salmon, here we have our shad and stripers. And it's cool to see the interactions and see how those rivers change and kind of the, like I said, the parallels between what we have here at home and what we have up there. Um, and again, I've enjoyed the heck out of working up there and, and looking forward to, to another summer. And uh, for those who've spent summers in Eastern North Carolina, God, it's nice to get out of the humidity, <laughs> uh, but 50 degrees in rain, you know, some days you, you kind of wish for that 90% humidity yeah. again. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, kind of returning back to North Carolina, a fishery that um, is a ton of fun that really not a lot of people know about, or, or if they do know about it, they don't. They may maybe not know how good it is. Um, we have really spectacular largemouth bass fishing in our, in our rivers, um, specifically for fly anglers. Um, in the fall, our rivers are typically lower, um, typically a little clearer. In fact, some of our rivers um, get quite clear. I mean, they look like mountain streams. You'll have, you know, crystal clear water. These fish are very hungry. Um, we have a, a very healthy population of them in most of the rivers we fish. Um, we have, I think we kind of did the math recently, and it's somewhere around three, 400 miles of river that we can choose from when we're going fishing. Holy smokes. Um, which is a, a positive and a negative sometimes because, God, you want to be so many places at once. Yeah. Um, but between the, the main rivers, the tributaries, and, you know, we we utilize a couple different watercraft, whether it's, you know, the, the, the Jones Brothers, whether it's a, a, you know, a John boat or whether it's a, a drift boat raft, whatever. We're, we're kind of implementing these different tools to access these different waterways and, you know, sometimes throwing, throwing rafts off bridge bridges and winching them up big hills and embankments and things. So it, it gets a little fun there. Get to have a little bit of fun with those logistics, but the fishing's phenomenal. We have really healthy populations of those largemouth bass. There are so many different ways to catch them as the season progresses. Um, and as someone that loves fly fishing and is, is kind of what I enjoy doing the most, um, you can do anything from throwing essentially a, a dry fly like you would for trout. Um, you know, these fish get really keyed in on cicadas. Um, and you can kind of have this technical dry fly experience where, you know, you're, you're downstream fishing, longer leaders, uh, relatively light tippet, you know, fishing one or two X tippet. 
and, and you know, sight fishing these largemouth that can be quite big. You know, a, a big one for us is six, seven pounds, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a phenomenal fish. Um, to you know, kind of what we've been doing the past month or so, throwing really large streamers on on density lines and and getting some really really cool aggressive eats, um, and then it all kind of comes back again to the shad. Um, the, those shad that have spawned in the spring, they have you know, the juvenile shad have to go back to the ocean, kind of join the main, main population, um, and that that run happens in the fall. Um, and those largemouth are very well aware of it, uh-huh. and they they get together in these schools, kind of as they would do in any reservoir as well in the fall, um, and attack these bait fish with just they they are ferocious. Uh, you will see blitzes on the river if you know where to be and when to be when to be there. Um, that almost look like watching albacore. Wow, um, which is really really cool. So some great topwater fishing. Um, that's a resource that I've really loved because. It, it doesn't get any pressure. The mm-hmm. access can be difficult. Um, again, knowing where to be and when to be there has taken us a lot of time to figure out. And um, as, as we've had, you know, as we've spent time doing it and we've kind of figured out where these fish move, why they move there, where the bait's going, um, you know, spending a lot of time looking at water temperature, moon phase, uh, things like we were talking about earlier yeah. today. All the nitty gritty. Exactly. Um, and kind of, trying to piece together this puzzle um we've seen some really really cool fishing over the past few years and we'll pretty much run that through december and uh, our fishing will stay very steady we don't really get really low water temps in north carolina all things considered um you know i think the last day i was out fishing for largemouth a week or so ago we were 50 degrees which mm-hmm. really is not not too detrimental for right. those fish. They, they can still be very aggressive if you know how to fish your windows correctly. Right. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a unique fishery. It puts you on those sections of river that just are very wild, that don't get yeah. a lot of pressure. Um, and it's something that I've loved doing and, and kind of showing people that aren't aware that they have this great fishery in their backyard. Yeah, that's pretty sick. When it comes to, uh, we, we talk, talked earlier at lunch about being really analytical. Um, we share that. Mm-hmm. Um, weren't blessed with that fishy sense. Uh, maybe you were. <laughs> I was not. Some days I feel like I am, but most days, no. I did, and I, I talked about this last, last show I did, but uh, you can learn to be fishy. Yeah. I think I maybe learned to be fishy, um, but I'm heavy on my analytics. Yeah. I don't know if that comes from um, being a sports fan. Y'all you know, have analysis i love like top receiving yards in the league and this you know i like stats for some reason like analytics or if it comes from a firehouse background i'm not sure but um for for you and your fishery and and for the way you break things down and theorize things what are some of your top analytics um that you look at and and are taking note to or or go to when something goes wrong like all right well let's check this right quick or planning your day out what are some things you're keying in on more so than others yeah, that's a that's a great question, and, and I'll you know the, the the short answer would be everything, um, <laughs> which is is tough. But I, I I'll say what I've kind of done. I've been fortunate. This has been um, my career, my entire adult life, and I've been really lucky to work for some great people and have opportunities to spend a lot of time on the water. And every year, there's something that piques my interest. There's a factor. A variable, mm-hmm. right? Because I kind of look at this, it's, it sound probably too nerdy for a fishing podcast, but um, 
it's all a big math equation. Mm-hmm. And, and you're trying to, it's, it's like algebra. And God knows I did terrible in algebra. Um, <laughs> but you have variables on one side, and you're trying to balance those variables out with, with the other side of the equation, which is catching the fish. Mm-hmm. And you've got to understand what variables need to go together yep. to get to that catching the fish answer. And every year, one of those variables intrigues me. And I remember the first, the very first one, which is the most simple one for what I do. And I think something that I see a lot of people coming from the saltwater world into our rivers, uh, particularly during the spring, have a hard time with is, is river levels. Because um, we come from tidal fisheries, you think? It, yeah, I, and, but it's, it's similar in a way. But um, I spent an entire year just intently looking at river levels and, and trends too. So whether it's a drop, you know, whether the river's dropping um, and it's going to vary because some of our rivers are hydroelectric. Some of our rivers are, uh, I mean, I will say some of our rivers, it makes no sense why they go up or down. It just feels like <laughs> there's someone in an office pressing a button. I feel like 5,000 less today. Yeah. Click. That uh, tends to happen a lot out here. In peak season. Yeah. Yeah. They like doing that. But you know, that was the first variable for me that I kind of figured out, oh, okay, um, that, that, you know, that water trend and that specific water level, you know, when it's say a thousand CFS dropping to 850, that's, that's when you want to be in this section of river. And then you want to be in this section of river when it's dropping this much. And a lot of that's just trial and error, but it's thoughtful trial and error where, yeah. you're, where you're looking at a specific variable. So kind of what I've done every year is there's, there's one thing I really try and figure out. Um, so whether it was water level, um, water temperature, we were talking about solar lunar calendar. I think it's such an underrated factor of fish. I I don't think it's always right, but I will say with trophy largemouth bass, if you're looking to catch a large, largemouth, you know, you're talking to, in our rivers, we say anything over 20, 20 inches, um, because you know we're weird fly fishermen, we don't we don't weigh them a whole lot, um, and weight fluctuations are crazy throughout the year. So we just say you know inches is easier to do. Um, anything over twenty inches is a big fish, and if you're looking for those larger fish, um, and, and I got this from some friends that are big into musky fishing, they're going to have very specific feeding windows, uh-huh. and and that solar lunar calendar. It, I can't tell you why. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you it makes a difference. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, that was kind of the most recent thing for me, probably two or three years ago that I really started looking at that. Yeah. And, and it, I won't say it made a difference every single day, but there were a lot of times that, and I I remember this from years past where I would go home after fishing. I'm like, why the heck were we catching a bunch of fish from noon to one 30? That, you know, that just doesn't really make a lot of sense. It wasn't, you know, a peak water temperature time. It Mm -hmm. wasn't. It didn't make sense. And then you went and you looked, oh, major feeding time. Yeah. Noon to one thirty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that has something to yeah. do with it. I think that is more true when it comes to trophy fishing, like you just said, though. Absolutely. Because uh, I come from trout fishing. It was he- hot and heavy through my mm-hmm. high school years after these big trout. And then later in tournament fishing, which not trophy, trophy per se. Sure. But that 27, right? That I need that eight pound fish to eat. Yeah, and, and so I spent a lot of time in my early fishing career looking for these bigger fish. I didn't, I didn't yeah. really care for those competitive twelve inchers that would probably eat if it come by their face. And it, I quickly, quickly got sucked into and drawn to 
it's a lunar. Like, how how is the sun and the moon, you know, circling each other? And when are they yep. pairing up? And um, how is that moon phase, given the solstice, we're in having an impact on our that body of water? And so on and so forth. And, and then, of course, if you've heard me say it one time on this show, you've heard me say it a million, but a barometer that's huge man oh like how, absolutely how the front's going to affect you and and the, and the trend yes and that's yeah. the one thing you said that i was going to comment on before we got to our next question and it's not just a day thing it's a trend it's a trend that's it, a big that's something that i think a lot of hobby anglers can have a difficult time yep because you don't get the the advantage of you know us we get to spend every day on the yep. water so we get to kind of examine these trends um you know more intently than someone that's going for a day or a weekend. Yeah. Um, where you're just kind of looking at the variables for that day. But really the trend I think is, is likely more important than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the thing that I've kind of come to in the past couple of years, and a really good friend of mine said this to me, fishing guide from down in Florida. You know, we were talking about all these different factors that we've divined reason out of water temperature, changes in water temperature, <laughs> yeah. how the ambient temperature is going to affect the water temperature. What we came down to was, you know, you start getting busy, you don't have a choice. You got to go fishing. You're going. So it's it's not necessarily. You got to figure out what every trend does to the fish, not the trend that makes the fish bite. Yes. And that's what gets difficult because you have to figure out how to have the best bad day. Yes, that's a, such a good way to word it. And that's tough because you got to figure out, is is my day going to get made? And I, I, I looked at this a lot this fall. Is my day going to be made by catching a bunch of those 12 inches with my guests? Mm-hmm. Or is my day going to be made by catching that one 22-inch fish? Yeah. So where do I need to f- – because your techniques are going to be different between those two mm-hmm. fish. My fly selection, my line selection, which is which is huge for us. I could talk for an hour and a half about fly lines. The way I approach those fish to begin with is going to be different based on what I'm targeting. And to know whether or not I'm looking for a volume day, as I like to say, or I'm looking for a trophy day, mm-hmm. that that you got to figure out those two things. Yep. And, and that's where I think tracking those variables still remains important. But at the end of the day, we got to be on the water. Yeah. That's funny because I, I don't think we've ever really talked about parallels in our, our fisheries as much conversation as we've had about our <laughs> fisheries. These parallels haven't come up, and that's, I mean, that you described our trout fishery and how I break down our speckled trout fishery mm-hmm. here in North Carolina, except probably way better than I'm able to describe it. But the same thing, like, all right, guys, have you ever caught one before? Mm-hmm. Do you want to catch a lot more, or do you are you after, like, have you progressed to a point, and you and I would never word it this way, but are you after this one you know, fish. citation fish, if yeah. you will? Being on the water day in and day out throughout the season, our boats take a beating. Whether we need fiberglass work, new non-skid, hole painting, rigging, and electrical, or full-blown custom restoration, Brock Boatworks has you covered. Specializing in high-end skiffs, bay boats, and center consoles, their attention to detail and customer service ensures that you have the work done right the first time so you don't have to get it done again. You can find their information in the podcast show notes. One of the first people I interviewed, his name is Captain Billy Stokes, and he hired me randomly, actually, at this shop. And anyways, he would always describe this progression of an angler. It's, uh, you want to catch anything? You want to catch a lot. You want to catch a big one, and then you sp- you get specific. Yeah, I want to catch them doing this. You know, you want to do it on fly. 
You want to do it trolling. Or you want to just catch a 30-incher. You know, like, you get specific after that. Yeah. So, for me as a guide, um, whether it be that first phone call or that ride out, I'm like, okay, have you ever caught one before? You know, where are you at in this algorithm, this this progression, yeah. if like you will? It's like a flow chart of angling. Yeah. And, and you know what? At first, I was like, I don't know. And his here. He was telling me because I was a tr- I was a trout head at the time. Like I was like, these redfish need to get out of the way. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't care if their tails up. I need a trout. You know, like I don't yeah. know what was wrong with me or whatever. Eventually, it was like, wait, I can see these fish and then cast to them. That's way cool. But neither here nor there. Um, he's like, you're you're gonna get there. And he's like, I think you're gonna land on grouper. I was like, really? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, That's gonna be your final destination. And like as far as like specifics or whatever, yeah. He's like he, I mean, he watched me from um, a John boat to guiding. Yeah. I mean, so he he'd watched me a little bit and in, in progressing and learning. He's like, yeah, you're gonna be a grouper guy. I, I just know it. And uh, he he recently told me he's getting out of the fishing industry, um, kind of retiring, if you will. I don't think guys actually get to retire. Yeah, I'm not aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> he he's slowing down or whatever, and I'm I'm chatting him up. He's like, you know, I was wrong about something. Well, I never heard Billy say this. What do you mean? He was like, you're you're a fly guy. He's like, you, I, yeah. I pegged you as a grouper guy, and that kind of goes into me teetering a, a very odd line. But neither here nor there. I, I think the progression of anglers, it, he was he was spot on the money. Yeah, I, I think that's that's how it is. I mean, you want a trophy hunt because that way of thinking is totally different from. Let's go catch a uh I like that volume day. A volume day. I might yeah. adopt that term. Um but no, I would I would totally agree. Um but it, so that's your full year. Yeah, yeah. Um one thing I did want to ask you is what are some of the biggest things you've gained traveling such a distance and and we're able to relate from from one, you know, the upper 48 and lower 48. Yeah. Like what what are some of the biggest parallels and lessons you've learned to be able to bring back home and make you a better angler? Or God. The, the the best thing that I learned came from starting out very young in Bristol Bay. Um, and that was the opportunity to be around a lot of clients, a lot of different clients. And we're just talking about whether it's a volume day whether it's a trophy hunting day whether it's I just need to catch my first fish ever day Um, given the opportunity very young and very new to have every single one of those kinds of clients in a year you know getting thrown in guiding six days a week with all these different kinds of people with all these different kinds of expectations and all these different kinds of skill levels and being in this incredible fishery that was the most useful thing for me. That's that's one thing that I really took away from that was um, we, we talk about it a lot up there, T-O-W, time on the water. Mm-hmm. That There's no substitution for that whatsoever. So, so that was the first thing that really helped me here. Um, it built a lot of confidence. You learned about yourself as a fishing guide because um, you kind of learned what you like doing. You learned, you know, hey, maybe I like trophy fishing more. Hey, maybe I like this sight fishing more or hey maybe i like going and catching the crap out of a bunch of fish yeah um so that was really helpful and then the biggest thing i can say was and i i've alluded to this today when we were talking earlier is um 
learning from a bunch of people with a lot of experience of how to do it the right way. Yeah. And that is probably something that a lot of people don't like to hear. Absolutely. Um, But there is a right way to guide. There's a right way um, to present yourself. There's a right way to act on the water around your your colleagues. Mm -hmm. This is a profession. It's not um, something you should do for fun. And that's hard because fishing in, in and of itself is something most people are doing for fun. But when you're when you're a professional fishing guide, you have to have a different level. Um, and I was very fortunate to be around some really phenomenal older professional guides that taught me the right way to do things. And that to me was the most invaluable experience that I got. I, I, I can't stress enough to if anyone is listening to this that's a that's a young person that wants to start guiding, go go somewhere like Bristol Bay. Go go somewhere like the Rocky Mountain West where um, you will very quickly learn, um, pro- probably to the detriment of your ego a lot of the times, <laughs> yeah. um, some etiquette, and and that goes with you everywhere. That doesn't it doesn't change whether you're trout fishing on a, a remote river in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's only other fishing guides or whether you're fishing at the rat race that is Weldon, the, the etiquette never changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might tell you it does, but it, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't ever. Um, and that to me is the most valuable thing. Yeah. And if it changes, it's in small minute details. I think like yeah. your 200 feet might turn into two miles, you know what I yeah. mean? But otherwise it, it's the same. The principles of that etiquette do not change. The, the best thing I, I tell people is if you feel like you're doing something wrong, you probably are. Just sit back and watch, man. Um, I had a, a was given a talk about striper fishing a couple of years ago, and you know someone asked me, they was like, I fished somewhere with a guide. Um, can I go back and fish that spot in my own boat? And I, I and a lot of people will have their own opinions about this. And I, I, I just kind of asked the guys, like, you're asking me the question. Mm-hmm. I think you already know the answer. Yeah. And and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm honest. Here's here's my thing, and I don't think this is popular either. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, look, if you have a boat, you can't hire me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I get that. I know a lot of people that have moved to that, especially in the past couple of years. Especially COVID and, and right after. Absolutely. And I get it. But here, my what I think is, if, if you're straight with me the whole time, Mm-hmm. And I'll be straight with you. Like, you're going to know if you like, hey, man, I have a boat. I don't know how to navigate this area. I don't even know what to look for. I'm yeah. not sure what a submerged oyster bar looks like. You'll probably get a different kind of trip. I'm, here's, I'll, you be straight with me about what you are coming into it for, and I will be straight with you and be like, all right, man, well, there's some things that I won't show you. You're not going to see. I can't afford that. Yeah. I've worked for this. There is time, sweat, blood, and tears, and I need those. I need that bread and butter. Yeah. And I can't divulge it to anybody because with the ability. Because it took you, you know, X, amount X amount of time. Yeah. yeah. But I would gladly take you and show you, um, not even community holes, but like, the Just this is a for. current scene. Yeah. This is, in your shoes, this is what a blackwater bleed looks, looks like. like. Yeah. You know, the first time I heard that, I was like, are they messing with me? Like, yeah. I went like five miles, hadn't seen one yet. I was like, nah, they're messing with me. And then I seen one, right? 
Yeah. But I, I don't mind help helping out to shorten the learning curve. Because Not one it's, bit. it's advantageous for everyone on the water for folks to know what to do. Yep. That's but, exactly right. And and we do show up and we're like, oh, they're already there. Yep. In, in this bend of XY Creek, we drop trolling motor or we, you know, they're anchored up. You can, sure. You can pass them. Yep. Um, but they're trolling motor and down the creek, you don't go on 10. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Then they'll know what to do. And I've had this conversation with a, another local guy here in the ferry. Most people aren't doing it with like ill intent. They don't they know. They just better. don't know. Yeah. And I don't mind helping you learn, you know, helping you shorten your learning curve in both catching more fish. Don't mind a bit. I want you to enjoy it as much as I do. And two, etiquette. Um, but you got to be honest with me. If yeah. I find out that you have a boat and you're intense, you know, you're dropping pins the entire day, yeah. I would, you're going to get a, a, not that I'm some Billy badass that's going to, you know, <laughs> raise hell, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a little more upset. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? Like, absolutely. But I don't, I'm not to the point in my career yet um, that is like, no, if you have a boat, you can't go with me. Yeah. Because I mean, I think the more people, that are into the fishery and passionate about the fishery. It's good for all of us. It's going to be better for the fishery. Absolutely. You know, so. And, and you know, kind of speaking on the same thing, I, I had a great conversation while I was flats fishing down in Florida recently, um, about a year ago now, and one of my good friends, and we had someone cut us off on a flat fishing a relatively popular area. And, uh, you know, my my buddy who's my guide at the time starts yelling at this other boat i was kind of like hey why'd you do that he goes how else would they know they were doing something wrong yeah and you know it immediately for the guys that have gotten yelled at by guides and and think oh these guides are all just jerks Mm -hmm. like they don't want anyone else on the water they think they own the place most of the time when they're yelling at you it's so you learn yep. what you can and can't do. It's like a and it's a helpful message delivered in a harmful way, yeah. if you will. Wow. It's um your dad did the same thing to you, <laughs> probably. Football coaches. Yeah, exactly. You know, yep. we, we all kind of experience it. And um, you know, we're getting to this point with social media and fishing becoming more popular where, you know, this idea of spots is so big now and and really the, for you know, anyone should realize that a spot is not the, the knowledge. Right. Knowing the physical location doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, learning how to fish that spot or know or understanding why that spot is good is way more important than knowing where that spot is. Intimate knowledge. Absolutely. I I don't even know if it's an accurate way to describe it, but it's like an intimate relationship almost. Yeah. You know, the concaves and the confluences and the wind and the tide and everything. That's why we talk about reading rivers, you know, yeah. and, and trout fishing so much. Right. It's, it's, you're reading the river. You're learning the river. Yep. Um, and it's the same here, you know, in, in, in y'all's inshore fishery. And, uh, you know, kind of a funny anecdote I have about about spots. And, and this is a, a kind of mutual friend of ours that, that both of us work with in, in the spring. Um, striper fishing is, is my my first season guiding in Weldon. Um, and I'd fished there a bit, but, you know, I probably should have spent a little bit more time out there. <laughs> um, you know, we just talked about, you know, I apologize to all my clients my first year. Um, the yeah, ones that are, about that. Yeah, the ones that are still <laughs> fishing with me, thank you. Um, but I remember I had a really tough morning trip, and there's a little spot that's really kind of difficult to – Notice or know why there be, it doesn't make a lot of sense why there's fish there, especially to 
the untrained eye. Um, and I watched this guy, a kind of mutual friend of ours, R- Richard Andrews, a phenomenal striper guide, one of the best striper guides I've ever seen. He, uh, I watched him just whack these fish in this spot. He was anchored in a way that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I was like, I wouldn't do that. I remember yeah. watching him anchor. I was like, that's weird. I wouldn't do that. That's, that looks kind of dumb. I watched this guy just beat up on these fish. So, you know, he leaves because we do these two day, you know, two trips a day in Weldon. And uh, he leaves from his morning trip. And um, I don't have an afternoon trip, but uh, I go back in there with a friend and we start fishing it. And I anchor up how he did and I, it clicks. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get why he's here. And we start catching these fish left and right. Well, here comes putting up the river. I see Richard again <laughs> coming putting up the river. And God knows to this day, I haven't pulled an anchor that fast in my life. Um, <laughs> And this was before we, we really knew each other very well. And, uh, you know, kind of years later, he tells me, he's like, you know, I really appreciate that. You know, he's like, I, I appreciate you doing that. And, and I think that goes back to what I said that, you know, when you're doing something wrong. Mm. And I knew in that moment, I was like, I, I, I shouldn't be here. This right. guy, you know, I just took this spot. But I learned so much from that spot that I could go find six or seven other spots that were kind of similar, and I figured out, oh, that's why those fish sit in places like that. Right. Oh, because it was a really high water year. Things were a little weird. We haven't seen that in a long time, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, but that's always, that, that was a moment that was kind of a standout moment in my career. That I was like, okay, yeah. that's, th- there is a right way to do things. And I'm glad that I, I had people that kind of instilled that thought process into me beforehand. Right. I had people that, you know, that told me, that, that told me, you don't, just don't do that. Right. Uh, yep. No one owns the river. No nope. one owns a flat. No one owns the ocean. But, you know, it, again, you know when you shouldn't be somewhere. Yeah. By now, we all know the quote, too, about the... Um, oh, intellectual property. We all know spot. that by now. Yeah, yeah. Like, which is some, I think is kind of a good way to look at it to some degree. It was a unique way to word it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't disagree with it. Yeah. Um, but obviously I'm not, that wasn't me not coining that, but uh, it, 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 he worded it well. Yeah, it's it, a great way to look at it. You, you don't own the water or this or that, but I mean, you did work for it. Yeah. And once you find something and have done the work for something, like, oh my gosh, that worked. Yeah. And then you really start to know it. And that's what I'm talking about, the intimate knowledge of a section or a piece or whatever, like fish swim here at this time. Like I know need, I need to be here during this event, doing this, throwing this with my boat position yes. like this. You yeah. would rather do it that way than to you just spot hop other people's stuff. You never learn that way. You don't. And, and it's not as fun to me. Maybe that's... I hope that's how most people are. Maybe that's what is the guide in me that wants to explore and whatever. Like, you know, that's yeah. a piece of the puzzle for, for why I do what I do. But I think you would enjoy it that way better. Um, but like you're saying in your story, and I have a very similar story um, as far as like, yeah, should have done that. That was a bad idea. And yeah. I was not told gingerly what I was doing was wrong. And then you just got to eat the crow, dude. Yeah, yeah, you messed up. You're right, man. And but you, what I where I'm going is like, you get there. Yeah, you don't do that again. You learn your own thing. You you know you become a guide basically, and you're like, all right, I kind of got this. Like this is starting to make sense. But mm-hmm. you never want. And I'm recently, more recently than I would like to admit, was guilty of 
you still got to get on, get out of your own way sometimes. Yeah. Like, um, even though what you know works. So say I know barometer works and I know how tides work. I know how tides in our area plus wind driven water works. Yeah. There's, there can be aspects of that that I may not know. Yeah. But if you were just, no, what I know is works. It's, it's like the guy who's like, it's a twitching wrap or nothing. Yeah. Because you yeah. caught nine fish on a twitching wrap. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's other baits, dude. There's other things to do. Like, if it ain't a clouser, I ain't using it because I've caught fish on a clouser before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're right. What you're saying's true, but there's more to it. Yeah. And I, was, I guess what I'm getting at is I've been guilty of, like I said, more recently, and I'd like to admit, like, okay, what I know is true, not discounting that, but there is more to it. Like this fishing thing, you know, the whole angling thing, it just keeps, the more I know, it just keeps growing. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, got that. Oh, crap, there's another layer? Like You're trying to figure out this unknowable thing. That's a great way to put it. You can't ever figure it out. Yeah. You're just slowly picking up Golly. little pieces, and the more you figure out, the more you're like, I'm really not sure. Because the weirdest thing about fishing that I've seen is how much contradictory information you get. Yeah. Where, yes. I mean, I, <laughs> the, the, the best thing that I've seen kind of talking about this is I, I do a lot of our small creek sight fishing in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, even Alaska gets technical sometimes. These fish get really picky. Um, and I'm talking sometimes you're, you're changing your fly in quotations. They're plastic beads um but pretty much a fly you'll you'll change and i always had this kind of opinion this bead fishing oh it must be easy it looks like an egg how hard can it be um until i started doing this and there are fish that i would sit on and change my fly 10 12 13 14 times oh my god and uh i'll never forget you know i remember going down on tippet taking off my little swivel because maybe that's spooking them all these different things, and then finally 15 minutes into it, the fish came up and ate my strike indicator. (laughs) And it was like, well, this kind of throws everything that I could think out of the water. And and that's the best part about fishing. That's what keeps us all coming back is, you know, I think nature does a great job of um, sometimes you start taking stuff a little too seriously. Yeah. And and it it comes back and gets you. Yep. Um, And it's like, yep, they're fish. They're wild animals, man. Yeah, they're unknowable. And that's the best part. I've said this before, probably on this show. Um, I worked at a tackle shop. It's kind of my introduction into there's money to be made as fishing. You know, like, I was like oh, man. I'm yeah, that's a, get a scary lot. realization. It really is. Um, detriment to my what could have been a professional career. Yeah, um, keep your kids away from that <laughs> realization. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was there, and there used to be these old heads, man, and they were fishy. God, they were fishy. But they would use $20 setups, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the ugly stick my papa gave me or whatever. Like, And they'd smoke them. But, dude, here was their favorite saying. Hey, God, I would put baits on pegboard and, like, cuss them under my breath. <laughs> they're like, well, you know, son, them fish got tails in their own way of thinking. <laughs> Shut the heck up, Grandpa. <laughs> but it's like, true. It's so true. But it used to make me mad because I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty, you know? I wanted... Z-Man's exactly new why color. they're doing it. They want this color. What this fiber did you tie that fly with? Whatever. Like, yeah. I wanted to nerd out. That's what I wanted. But their reasoning was, it's a hey, fish. fish got tails and their own ways of thinking. Yeah. And I'm like, what, you don't know? You know, you're using $20 setups. How would you know? Yeah. 
how would you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They were right, dude. And they were in, you know, the ones that are still, um, you know, kicking and casting, I've been, I had to go back. I'm like, you know, I used to not like that. And you were right. He's like, you think we didn't know you didn't like it? <laughs> yeah, that's why we said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, to go back and to that coffee maker and talk to them one more time would be great. But neither here nor there. We're still wild animals. I've said a couple of times, these fish have a way of keeping us humble. Oh, they do it. And on, it's a hero or zero. They do it on purpose. I, I, <laughs> I, I remember I was. Uh, I love just walking, waiting uh, the Upper Tar River that I live on. I, I love it. It's um, especially in the the, you know, fall and late spring. Clear water, um, largemouth bass, carp, gar. You know, just it. That's where. That's how I started fishing, and it's what I really love doing. I, I try and spend time doing it when I get a day off because it, it brings me back to why I, why I'm here, why I do this for a living to begin with. And uh, I remember I had just this frustrating day. I had this school of carp that I, I was like, I, I got to get these things to eat. I got to figure it out. I, and and carp are inherently just hard fish to catch. Anyone that's fish for them, especially in a river, God knows they can drive you crazy. And I had this day I'd spent hours. On a couple fish, hours, mm. flies, tippet, whatever it was, just changing, 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 to the point where you're like, someone give me a treble hook and a weight. <laughs> you know, I can't deal with this anymore. But I, I finally say, okay, you know, screw it. I'm not going to try for these things anymore. And I put on a six and a half, seven inch uh, bass worm fly, just a big rabbit strip worm fly. And I throw it out there, and this carp comes over and smokes it. <laughs> and I just like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't at all. make any sense. And I had a, a good friend of mine say, "Sometimes fish do that to remind us that they're fish." <laughs> I like I that. Like, I like that. It was good. That you know, it keeps us. It, it reminds us it ain't so serious all the time. It's not. I mean, I, I, we talked about this before it started too. Like, you know, good anglers, whether it be tournament angler or guide or fun fishermen, because I know a lot of dudes who are phenomenal anglers. Oh my gosh! And yeah, like, nah, I don't want a guide. You know, yeah. maybe they're not people Thank God person. for him. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> kidding. Because he would put all of us to waste. But oh, yeah. It, the commonality is like they take what is known, and I say known in quotation marks, like they take it, they make the best decision they can with the information they have. Yeah. And they're good at that. Yeah. Uh, I recently said, I can't remember if it was on here or not, but like my fishing took a turn, an uptick turn, when I started reacting instead of spot hopping. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. That's show, a great. That's that. That's that's how you have to fish. You show up and you're like, okay, I knew. Oh, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry on the Weather Channel might have said it's this, but it ain't that. You drop your boat and it's not. React. Yeah. You know, it's like a good linebacker uh, coming from a sports and like yeah. said, sports and firehouse. You react. That's what you do. If you're a good linebacker, you don't say they're no, they're running the a gap. Yeah. <laughs> you, you wait till the ball snapped yeah. and you do that. Same thing with a, a fire or whatever you want to, you know, fill in the blank. And I'm trying to think of another analogy. There's only two that I know. But nonetheless, like, that's when my fishing took a turn. The best anglers I know, and I've met a couple good ones, you know, over the years, is they've seen a lot and they know yeah. how to react. They're like, okay, well, you, you worded it well. You said, I can have the best bad day. Where is my best bad day? Yeah, because you're going to have to have those. That's, turn, that, is, that ends up being... A lot more of the days that we have than we want to mention. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, you know, I, 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 
found this really interesting parallel with a bartender that we had <laughs> at our lodge in Alaska. And this guy was a, uh, he used to be a professional poker dealer. Kind of interesting intersection. You, you know, you wouldn't really um, expect to see someone like that. Right. Working in a remote lodge in Bristol Bay. But we had this, uh, we used to have this big group, and God knows I'd go on a million stories about them, but we used to have a big group from Caesar's Palace that would come up. They're high-rolling gamblers. So every night these guys were in the lodge playing poker till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I remember watching this guy, his name was Mike, playing poker with them. I was like, man, Mike, you are a phenomenal poker player. And, you know, I kind of had like a, I'd never been a gambler, never really been into poker, so I didn't really know a lot about it. But I was like, it's really interesting to watch him play especially against these guys that are high rollers at Caesars, you know, that had lost and won so much money over the past you know, decades. And um, I asked him, I was like, how are you such a good poker player? Like, what, what makes you good? And he goes, man, I, it's because I was a poker dealer. And it gets to a point where you've just seen so many hands, you kind of know what can happen. <laughs> I like that. And, and I was like, that's what you're paying your fishing guide for most of the time. Yeah. They've seen so many interactions of these you know probably innumerable variables come together that you're paying for them to react properly yeah to those exactly variables right. and and that's I, I i really that was kind of a light bulb moment for me yeah where i was like oh that's what i need to be doing with my fishing right like i'm going to be able to be good at this because i've seen so many days and the more days you have and this is why i fish on almost all my days off that I can't. Got to. Um, you have to. And, and and if your guide doesn't, find a new fishing guide. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I love you, it. You, you have to. You need to be fishing every day, and you need to be failing often. And you need to be doing you, – you can't beat your head against the wall. You have to go do different things. You have to go screw up. You have to go do something that you think wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. You've got to see how all these different hands mm-hmm. and the game can play out. Right. You know, yep. because that's the only way you're going to – I can't tell you how many times I've been like, no way I figured something out. Yeah. I did something dumb. That was how we figured out about catching these, these shad on top water. Yeah. It was one day we were catching so many of them and, you know, went to a different spot and we were like, I don't know. Let's, I got a gurgler. <laughs> I'll see what happens. And it's kind of dumb, you know, see if it works. And yeah. It worked one time, and then we tried it, you know, 10, 15 other times. It never worked. And then we tried another time. It worked. Then we said, well, what were the two similarities between those? Oh, the water had to be like this. The weather had to be like this. It had to be, you know, you had to have these conditions. And that's how you find this cool stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, how, you, that's how you find a- anything that's good that we have, you know, talking about running to different parts of rivers in the spring and things yeah. like that. It's like, well, you, you figure out when you need to go down there based on what you've seen in the past. It's like playing Clue or Guess Who. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a process of elimination. That's all it is. Mine started with, where can my boat fit at low tide? Yeah. yeah. Where should I definitely not be? Yeah. You know, where where can I not float? And uh, kind of work from, I remember that being one of the first things. We're like, I'm, I'm setting off this week, or however much I was able to fish. I don't think, that was this is before guiding. It was like tackle shop tournament days when I would be like, okay, I'm going to see where I can float. I got this hours of low and see what i can do yeah and then eliminate all those things like that's just not accessible for me and and my rig at the time i can't get there so it doesn't matter no and then you know i don't know i wish i had like a remedy like a like this is how you need to go about breaking it down i often say three miles at a time love that 
That's know, great. I, yeah. That's how I chose to do it and found success doing it. It wasn't my idea neither. Someone told me that, mm-hmm. um, just to clear that up. Um, but, yeah, it's three miles at a time, you know, limitations. And, like, I, I wish I could point to X, Y, Z. Like, these are the things you need to figure out. Don't go, you know what I mean? But it's not. Yeah. It's like it's your own adventure. It's your own exploration. It's kind of tough to put down in, in, in just an hour podcast. I don't think you can. Like, no. No. You said there was just not – there's so many different factors, You'll right? never figure it out. No. And if you could, this wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't. No, yeah. you're right about that. It wouldn't be any fun. It's got to be constant evolution, constantly getting better. Yes. And I, I think, you know, like you said, figuring out where you, where you can go. I really like that because I, I had this uh, – I started with a really small boat, and I was like, okay, i got to figure out where I can where I can fish with this. Yeah. And I, I kind of learned that. I got a little bigger boat. I, I still run a flat-bottom boat, and – it is, there's a lot of water I can't fish. Um, but now, instead of focusing on, oh, God, they're out there. I can't be out there. They're catching fish. I'm like, okay, well, this is where I can be. Yeah, make it happen. What can I do here? Right. I got to figure this out. Because mm-hmm. they got to be here. I, gotta fi- I, I got to, I got, there's no other option. And that's <laughs> You the, sink or swim at that point. Yeah, and that's the, that's been, I think that is the fun and stressful part of guiding. Is you're inevitably going to hit a point. Um, where you get in the boat at the beginning of the day and you know it's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Probably more days than we like to admit, but Dude, you I'm, know it's going to suck. I'm brutally honest to you. And, and like I know what I charge. Yeah. I'm like, dude, heads up. You know, and the best, the, 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 the best advice I, I've gotten about that, you know, is a fishing guide came hilariously from my mom who has never caught a fish in her life. (laughs) Never. I don't know if she's ever held a fishing rod before, but she said to me, she was like, you know, these people probably don't care that much. She was like, they, they just want to go out and have a good time on the water. This is their, this is their day. So true. Like she's, she, she told me, she said, stop putting your expectations on your guests. I was like, man, for someone that's never fished before, that's mighty insightful. <laughs> I try to I try to keep that in my mind too because we are so fortunate. We were talking about striper fishing earlier. I'm so fortunate. I've seen God knows how many hundred fish days striper fishing. Sure. So many. But sometimes that gets in the way of me realizing that the guys on my boat really appreciate us catching six. Right. And that that's still a fun day. Yeah. Getting your expectations out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. That can be and that makes that might sound snooty even. Yeah. But like whatever Joe Schmo's job is, he's probably a whole lot better at it. You know, like he's probably seen way but this is what I do. Two hundred yeah. plus however many days of the year. Um I mean, yeah, you've seen triple digit days or I have seen X amount of tails on a flat. Like yeah. and then you know, the worst thing you could ever do. I and I've done it. Yeah, I kick myself for it. Like, yeah, we'll get a bigger one. Oh yeah. Oh dude, that that was my my best one. You know, like immediately um, downplay what could be someone else's. Yeah. And I am cognizant of this too. And or like whatever, like, well guys, I hate that it was a the slow day and like And they think it's a great day. You know, but I'm also cognizant of this. And I'm nobody. Like normally I'm the guy on the other end. Like <laughs> I'm the one that's on the downside, not saying I'm a big wig or nothing. But making post. Mm. Because we live, we do business on social media. Unfortunately, that's we, the way it is now. Conversation yeah. we had at lunch. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah. love to delete it most of the time. Yeah. But, yeah. And because and there is, there's an unhealthy comparison. You and other guides are like, 
had a rough day, you see some fish call. Like there's some not great things about social media. Um, but at the same time, um, you can have the, you can be the guy that's like, yeah, we smoked them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can play that role of someone didn't. But we, we have a mutual friend, John Mauser, who, oh, who's yeah. good about the experience. You know, it's, he I can, think that's one of the things I appreciate about John the most. Yes, yeah, so great much. Is it that? Um, he can post something and, and have this caption, and and it's all about the experience. You know, the fish might be twelve inches long, but who cares? But it, it you have to like the post because of it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I try not to. I'm trying to be cognizant of how I post and what I post. If I had a good day that I'm like, you know, let's not talk about the number. Let's not talk about the epicness or, or yeah. X, Y, Z. Agreed. And it can be tough. Yeah. You I want to tell people when you had a good day, you know, but at the same time, like I don't want to be the reason, you know, Johnny boy decided that he don't want to fish anymore because unhealthy comparison. So, yeah. Yeah, and this absolutely. is probably way too much thought for an Instagram post, but that's where my head's at. No, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, I'm right there with you. I had to stop myself many times of really good days where you want to say, "Oh, we just got, caught so many fish," and it's it's not you're setting unhealthy expectations for no, other people, and that's not what are. that's not what made the day good. No, it's never what really made the day no. good. And there, like I said, John's really good at it. Um, I wish we talked about this so. Funny thing we've not mentioned is our age. Both oh, yeah. fairly young oh, to yeah. have this many years doing what we're doing. You more so than me. John, being a little bit older, he, he's really good at like you know depicting that and doing that. And you and I, being so young, you know, have there's a chip on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, I got something to prove, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm only 26. However old you were when you started, older I was, I was like, man, I got to prove these old heads something. Oh, yeah. And the more I do it, I'm like, eh, not really. Yeah, no. Like, whatever happens in my boat is what happens in my boat, and that, that's what, that's going to be what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, you got anything else to add, man? Anything you know, what we didn't hit on? I'm sure there's about 100,000 things we did, but it oh, was a great conversation. I, one thing I'm, I'm glad I asked because it reminded myself. Okay. I want to hear your fly line oh. breakdown. Because okay. I've I've gotten so many different mixed opinions. I I I'm fly line confused half so, the time. So this is full disclosure coming from a guy who's as weird into it as I have made my own fly lines from cutting fly lines apart and pacing them back together and welding them and doing all this stuff. And I learned a lot of this from from two hand, you know, spay fishing, switch fishing, and 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 that was that taught me a lot. Um, understanding grain weight. Understanding Jordan blog fire fire. Fire. Sorry. Um, I didn't realize my phone was <laughs> Bluetooth <laughs> to the board. Um, but so I'll, I'll bring it down. There, there's We're in a renaissance of fly lines right now. It, you, we are in the best place to buy a fly line we've ever had. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. There's, I, I will tell you this, I use a floating fly line for my fisheries next to never. I, I have very few floating lines. Um, for what I do, I, I don't find a uh, use for them. The line that I think is so underutilized, especially in the saltwater world, we kind of mentioned this earlier, um, intermediate lines and intermediate tip lines, um, very slow sinking lines are so helpful. 
And one thing they're really helpful about, especially a full intermediate line, it's one thing I like about them, is it is a better connection for a hook set. Mm. There's not a hinge anywhere. Right. You know, you don't have that leader from the fly line, right, where you get a little bit of a hinge. I think that's that's big. Um, the other thing I, I think is really misunderstood. It's really misunderstood in sinking fly lines. And this comes from Weldon. You have all these people talking about, you know, we're fishing 12, 16, 18 feet of water, sometimes 20 um, on the lower Roanoke, we're fishing 24, 26 feet of water sometimes. Mm-hmm. How the heck are you going to get a fly down there? Um, a 450-grain sinking line does not sink faster than a 350-grain sinking line. They are both 6-inch per second heads. It's a density thing. So the really cool thing is I'm a big fan of um, companies like Scientific Anglers. They're, they're my favorite fly lines right now. Um, there's a lot of other good ones on the market. Cortland, Rio, all great. Um Density fly lines are super cool. Look at your sink rate. Mm-hmm. Look at your sink rate. The, the tight and triple densities are incredible. Um, having a line that can sink seven, eight inches per second is huge. But don't think that a 450 grain, 30 foot sinking head is going to get as deep as a triple density line that's that's full sinking. Um, so so that's, that's really big to me because there was always this thing at Weldon where you need to throw a nine weight so you could carry this 450 grain line. And people look at me like I'm crazy when I'm throwing seven weights most of the season. Mm -hmm. But because the way the fly lines are made now, you can get away with that because of density and materials that we were able to use. Um, I I think those are the, you know, using an intermediate line, seeing where that fits in, um, especially I like neutrally buoyant flies, foam heads, things like that. It gives a lot of action, especially in current. Um, those intermediate lines are crucial to it. Um, it's a really good connection to your fly. Um, looking at the density of your sinking line, huge. Understanding that it's density, not grain weight, that mm-hmm. gets the fly line down. Um, th- those are the two things I see most people miss. And, you know, I, I would recommend looking at people like um, Steve Daly in the Ozarks and um, you know, some of the folks out west here in North Carolina, East Tennessee. Uh Looking at leader length, um, I see a lot of people run really short leaders on sinking line. That is not always the best thing to do, given the action you're looking for from a fly. Right, um, right. I, I'm notorious for my long leaders. Um, a lot of people that have fished with me know that. A lot of people that have looked at my rigs know that. But there are advantages. Um, it's physics. You need a long leader with certain fly styles. Think... Um, Dahlberg style heads, diver style heads, uh, wedge heads, you know, you're looking like drunken disorderly, a Sid, something like that. Um, those flies will not swim correctly on a short leader. Right. Because those flies need to have horizontal movement like a jerk bait and a short leader will not allow a fly to move as such. So those are just a couple things to kind of think about with fly lines. Um, I would also say if you're buying a fly rod, spend the money on the fly line. Uh, right. That's the uh, most agreed. important part by far. And uh, I guess I could sit here and probably talk for hours about it, but right. we could probably leave it at that. Right. No, um, I love that. I think there's, there's a lot in there to unpack for sure, but um, it's something that I wished I nerded out on sooner, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, dude, I, I, you, when you showed up to go grab lunch today, I was swapping lines. I yeah, swapped lines yeah. like crazy. Yeah, more um, people should. And I, and half, some of it's like, I'm going to try this. 
Does this yeah. work? You know, like it's theory. Um, but I, yeah, I'm all over the place, and then I'm not even brand specific at this point. Yeah. Um, there's okay. there's lines that, um, for instance, uh, airflow makes the best intermediate I've thrown in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to overweight it, and understanding. Look at your grain weights. Look at after standard grain weights for mm-hmm. fly lines, and kind of mess around with that. It's big. Understand that. Some nine weights need a 10 or 11 weight line. Yeah. And some nine weights can probably handle an eight. Right. Exactly. And that's hard. You know, um, I always go back to the old Sage ones <laughs> and the Sage, uh, I think it was the method, the red rod. Yeah. They were freaking telephone poles. And if you got an eight weight, you need a 10 weight line on it. Yep. To, to, to for that rod to load, mm-hmm. you need a 10 weight line on that rod. Yep. So, you know, it, and the best, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But, but that's the, the, I was just saying, that's the fun of a lot of this too. It is. And the best place to, before you make a large investment is call the fly shop. Go to a good fly shop. Yeah. We're so lucky to have Soundside Outfitters just yes. north of here about 20, 30 minutes. I'm really happy that we have a, a real fly shop in eastern North Carolina. I mean, we now. needed it. Yeah. We desperately needed just, it. And, and I can tell you, I worked in a fly shop for a while. And I, and I know you were a shop guy too. Mm-hmm. Um, call the guys. They don't want to be folding shirts. <laughs> they don't want to be hanging shirts up and folding they, shirts. And Call them. Ask them about fly lines. They're going to be so happy. They're going to be stoked to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. And, and if you're lucky, you might get a guy like I was in the shop that'll sit and talk to you for an hour yeah. about it. Yeah. So sit at the coffee machine or the, the fridge or whatever. Don't Google it. Don't do that. Call someone. Talk to a human. Talk to someone preferably in your area. Yeah. Because they will know better application specific lines for what you're doing. Yep. Um, don't be the guy at Weldon with a floating line asking why you're not catching fish. <laughs> because I'm gonna laugh at you. Yeah. Or yeah, definitely give Perry a call if you're in this area. You know, Soundside Outfitters. Go throw it. You know, go pair the line. Go. Yeah. You know, do whatever. Um, he's great shop. Willing to talk about it. Willing to show you. Willing to let you. You know, do whatever. Um, you know, a little shameless plug to our local fly shop there. But, um, yeah, I'm glad I thought about that. I was ready to close her down, but I, I did want to hear what you had to say about flies. But um, anything else you got to add, buddy? No, I think that's it. All I would say is uh, for those that haven't, check out uh, what we have kind of in northeastern North Carolina where, where Tar River Co. is our, our kind of brand name. And you can find us on uh, – you can find me on Instagram, Captain Will Paul, and you can find us on the Internet and um, – you know, we'd love to kind of show you this really unique area that we fish. And, you know, for a lot of these saltwater guys, I think there's some some really cool stuff inland that you guys might not know about. And we'd love to kind of take you out and show you the, the cool fisheries we have that are, are very underutilized in our area. Heck yeah, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for making the drive down and, oh, and yeah. spending the afternoon with me. Oh, yeah. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.